And the rest of you might notice that things look a little bit different here. There's a couple more people up front than we usually have here at Fort Street. We have the wonderful privilege of allowing music to guide us in worship on this Sunday of joy. So we will approach God's word in a unique way through readings, music from Handel's Messiah, and reflections on joy. Would you pray with me, please? Holy Word, you are our guide and ultimate assurance. By your Holy Spirit, open us to your promises and commands and shower us again with the fire of your love. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. A word from Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them.
The New Yorker magazine had a wonderful cover back in January of 2014. I know you can't really see it likely from where you are, but I'll describe it. I liked this cover so much that I kept the magazine and have carried it with me, lugged it around to the six different houses and three states I've lived in since I first got it. The drawing is one of joy. It's, an, it's a drawing by Chris Ware, and depicted on it is a school play. There are six children on stage acting and singing, and then there's a band off to the side, everyone playing instruments. And we have the perspective of parents in the audience. And every parent is holding up a phone recording this play. And each phone screen is zoomed in on one individual child. And I should clarify that they're all different children on the phone screens, presumably the child of whichever parent or grandparent is recording this play. So while the full play is happening just in front of them, the audience members are taking it in through the small three-inch screen of their phone zoomed in on the one part that their child is in. We have all seen and participated in different versions of this before. When we find ourselves in situations or places that bring us great joy, our first instinct is to capture the moment in any way we can, often through photos or videos, and often zoomed in on just the one thing that we think matters most to us. We do this with concerts, with sunsets, with birthday parties, and so much more. Joy is fleeting and rare. And so when we feel that warmth rush over us, when we feel that excitement, when we feel that pride looking at a child on stage, when we feel the amazement and wonder of a sky so amazingly pink, we want to find a way to hold onto it forever to capture it in an image so that others might know what we experienced and so that we will never, ever forget it. Because so much of life does not feel joyful, does it? 
Remember, only one of these four candles on our Advent wreath is pink. In fact, the Christmas story is largely dark and scandalous and full of fear. But there is joy. In the scripture that Faye read for our Advent lighting, we heard part of Mary's story, the mother of Jesus. After the angel had come to her, she traveled to visit her relative Elizabeth, who was also pregnant with the one who, we, who would be called John the Baptist. And the text says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt for joy in her womb. And then Mary offers her famous song of praise, saying her spirit rejoices, is full of joy in God. In the church, we say that joy is something even more than happiness. It goes beyond our own immediate circumstances and attaches to the goodness of God. Joy is an experience and a state of being. It's much more than just a feeling. And God delights in it. An old professor of mine used to say, you don't have to be spiritual, don't have to be miserable to be spiritual. God approves of joy. And the irony, of course, is that in trying to capture joy, we put up a barrier between us and the experience, between us and God. Trying to zoom in and hold on to joy makes us inadvertently miss the fullness of it. True joy requires our full presence and is always bigger than ourselves. Have you ever watched someone experiencing true joy? It's contagious. To watch a proud parent next to you beam when their child sings a song in the play might give you as much joy as watching your own child perform. But you have to be zoomed out to see that. One example of joy that came to mind for me this week was in the weddings that I've had the honor to officiate here at Fort Street. My favorite moment happens before the ceremony officially starts. Different couples do it different ways, but oftentimes one of the partners stands up front with the officiant while the other walks down the center aisle. And in the last wedding I officiated, the groom ahead of time said to me, I am not a crier, so this is not going to be a big deal for me. But as you might imagine, we stood up here side by side, and as the processional started, he began to see all of his friends and family members walk forward, and he started weeping tears of joy. And when the bride started down, I thought I was going to have to pause and give this man several moments to recover because he was so joyful that it was coming out of his eyes. The bride looked amazing, but I could not take my eyes off of the groom because his joy was so beautiful. I started to tear up, and this happens to Pastor Garrett and I fairly often. Even when we don't know the couple all that well, there is something so sacred about that moment, and God is present, and joy feels tangible in the air, even if it doesn't belong to any of us. When we feel joyful, we want to shout hallelujah. And later in the service, we will get to hear that famous hallelujah chorus. But guess what hallelujah really means? 
It's not, wow, I'm happy. The real definition of hallelujah is God be praised. Now, it's okay to take pictures sometime. Trust me, I am in no place to judge with this. But when joy comes, lean in and live it with your eyes wide open. Resist the urge to capture it. Jesus shows us how beautiful it is to let things go. Share the joy with those around you like Mary did with Elizabeth. And when you're in seasons where joy feels distant, look for others experiencing joy and know that God is with you still. Amen. Hear this word from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.
When Pastor Sarah asked me to do a few, just a few minutes on joy, um, I thought it would be pretty easy because, you know, joy's fun. It's not, like, scary and hard to think about. Uh, but turns out I was a little bit wrong. Um, every time I started to have a thought, it just seemed to take a right turn into, like, the cheesiest Christmas movie of all time. And everything was just trite and cheesy and just like, eh, that's not something to share. And that just kept happening over and over and over again, where I just thought, that doesn't feel full and whole and joyful at its core. So eventually I started to try to think of examples of, you know, places that I thought I had seen real joy. Um, you know, my niece getting thrown into a giant leaf pile by my brother, or, you know, uh, my dog running towards me, all legs sprawled and ears flapping. That seemed pretty joyful. And I, I realized that the, the, the theme of, like, children and joy kind of stuck out to me. Uh, I think that there's a little bit of a, a Christmas trope of the joy of a child and on Christmas morning, no one, no one can match that. And I began to wonder about that. Why is it that children seem to have this joy? Why is it that parents see children and have joy? Why, why does all that interconnect so closely? And why does it seem so easy for children to access joy when it might be a little bit harder for adults? And the more I thought about it, the more I began to realize that maybe, just maybe that children have more access to joy because they have more access to their other feelings and thoughts. I mean, my nieces, they're two and they're four, and they are really, really good kids, but there are those moments when something doesn't go their way and their rage fills their tiny little bodies, and they throw a tantrum, and wow, they are feeling 
that entire range of emotion right there in a way that I don't think adults often allow that to fill them. Same thing with sadness. When, when they can't find that favorite stuffed animal, there are tears right there immediately. And I don't think adults allow ourselves to feel that sadness in the same way. And I wonder, just as maybe zooming in on our screen to try to capture the joy might be creating a boundary and a barrier between us and God, maybe our reluctance to feel other emotions like sadness and pain and fear during this season might be holding us back from feeling the true joy of the season as well. The Christmas story is full of more than just joy. Uh, there's the sadness and the fear. There's so much darkness. The fear that Mary has when she learns that she's going to have a child. The pain and the fear of the journey to Bethlehem. The loneliness of not having a place to stay. All of those things are a part of the Christmas story. And I would think that the characters and the people in that story felt those things fully. They were real and happening and true to them. And because of that, maybe they were more able to access the joy that happened when Jesus was born. When the angels came and sang to the shepherds, when people came to adore their child, maybe the joy was a little bit easier to get to because they embraced the fullness of the season, the complexity of the season. So I invite you to recognize and access some of that complexity for yourself this year. I know it's not maybe as much fun as leaning into the happiness, but I think you might find more joy if you allow yourself to feel the fullness of the dark and of the heaviness of the year and allow yourself to be honest with yourself and be honest with your God. And I hope that in that journey, you can find love, hope, peace, and joy. Amen. This is from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey.
Amen. Thank you, Dorothy. I was recently in Nashville, Tennessee, visiting some friends, and I was invited to a church service, which I jumped at the opportunity, if you can believe that, um, because I love going to church and getting to fully worship. Not that I don't get to do that as a pastor, but a lot of times I have things that are coming into my ear right before the service. I'm being told what I need to do that week. I'm thinking about the sermon I've got to preach. I'm thinking about what I forgot, blah, 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 blah. So I love going to church when I can just be at church. So I sat down in the pew and I was reading through the bulletin and I kind of took a couple deep breaths and I'm feeling fully relaxed. And then my friend, who's actually the pastor at this church, stands up and he's greeting everyone and he says, I want to take a moment to recognize someone special that's here today. And he turns toward me and he looks and he says, this is my friend Garrett. And he begins to tell the story of how he and I met. And actually, in, when we were in middle school, I invited him to come to church. And he came from kind of a rough background. And he credits my invitation to him as his sort of moment of salvation and awakening in the world, which I kind of cringe at, to be honest with you. So he's telling this to a church full of people that this is the man that invited me to church. He's the reason that I'm your pastor here today. If you see him, thank him. (laughs) And then he makes me stand up, (laughs) introduce myself. Everyone claps for me. And I was like, well, there goes that opportunity to worship. (laughs) It ended up being a really lovely service. But afterward, I I got caught in the receiving line as if I was one of the pastors there. People were coming up and they were shaking my hands and saying, wow, thank you so much for inviting Josh to church. So great of you to do. Wow, you must be such a great person for doing that. And I'm thinking, oh, (laughs) I don't know about that. So as people started coming through the line and, and less and less people were backing up at the door, folks wanted to talk a little bit longer. And one woman stopped, and she said, so, so what do you do now? And I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor, too. And she goes, oh, wow, what, where are you a pastor at? And I said, Detroit. And if, if you've ever told someone that you're from Detroit or that you work in Detroit, you've gotten this look, like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh I'm so sorry. <laughs> are you sorry? <laughs> You know, and I took that moment, I, I've, I found it cute at first when people did it, and now it's, it's almost an annoyance. Because that response to hearing that someone's from Detroit or they have to work in Detroit is sort of based on some assumptions. And those assumptions aren't founded in joy. They're not founded in goodness. They're, they're not really founded in truth. I think... They're from the past. They're from places of pain. They're from rumors. They're from the media telling us what they can sell. And so I took the opportunity and I said, you know, it's not so bad in Detroit. There's at least one good church there. (laughs) There's a lot of great things happening. I said, if you have a minute, I'll I'll tell you just two brief stories of what it's like to work in Detroit right now. I'd like to share those with you this morning. 
The first happened when I, was, I went to take an afternoon walk because I was feeling kind of overwhelmed by some things and took a walk just to clear my head. And it's, it's actually really nice. I get to walk right down to the river. We have this beautiful river walk, which was named, I believe, number one in the country. Is that right? Yeah, Detroit's a terrible place to, to work and live, you know. So I'm, I'm down by this, this river walk and I'm kind of just thinking to myself, I circled back and I come to the church and I see this family gathered outside and they've, they've got their phones out and they're taking pictures of the building. And they're just admiring it. And, and the mother in the family, she had kind of stopped at one point. She was taking pictures, she stopped and she dropped her camera and she's just looking up for, I mean, at least two minutes, just in awe of the place. I noticed him, so I went up to him and I said, hey, do you want to come inside? And she stops and she, she was like, really? You'd let us come inside? I was like, sure, <laughs> you can come inside. There's nothing wrong with that. And they, they explained to me, they said, are you absolutely sure? Because we're, we're Hindu, we're not Christian. Are you still sure we're allowed inside? And, and I laughed at them. <laughs> I thought it was maybe a joke. And she said, no, we actually have been asked to not enter into churches before because of our faith. And I was like, well, you know, if I get in trouble for this, I, <laughs> I guess I'm in the wrong spot. Come on in. So they came in, and they're looking around, and I came in, I turned all the lights on in the sanctuary. I mean, this is why people come, right? Like, you just look around right now, and it's, it's amazing. I had someone at a wedding yesterday tell me, they were like, I, I didn't know why this person wanted to get married in downtown Detroit until I walked into this sanctuary, and I thought, yeah, <laughs> where else would you get married? <laughs> So they come in and they're looking around at the building just obviously overwhelmed with joy. At one, being allowed and invited into the place and two, getting to experience the architecture and just the ambiance. And I said, take as much time as you need. I'll come in after you're done and I'll turn the lights off. And the mother of the family looked at me and with tears in her eyes, she said, Thank you so much. You make me believe in God because you're kind and because you invited us inside. And then I got a little teary-eyed and I thought, <laughs> I feel like this is just a normal thing to do. So that was one story I told about the joy of working in Detroit. The second story I'll tell, I, I wasn't really a part of, but I kind of heard secondhand. So you all know we have the open door ministry here, right? And um, for years we've served food, we've handed out clothes, we've done a ton of things. And one of the things we're really ramping up right now is access to social workers and trying to get people help connecting to the resources that they need, whether that's housing, whether that's food, whether it's a job, whether it's counseling, whatever it is, we want to try to connect them to their needs. We don't want to just limit our resources to one thing in food. And so this man came in recently and he uh, thought he was supposed to be getting social security checks and he hadn't been getting them for like five years and he couldn't figure out why and he needed some help. So Trish, our open door director, and then her team of social workers and all of the volunteers sort of rallied around this guy and began to help him. And they started to figure out that, yeah, he was supposed to get these Social Security payments. And it had been backed up more than five years. It was something like six or seven, maybe. 
And so the, the process goes through, they figure it out after hours being on hold and dealing with government bureaucracies, they figure out that he's going to be getting a large sum of money every month and in fact, he's going to get a huge settlement check for all of that back pay that he missed. This is a man that was houseless when he came to us. A man that didn't have food, he didn't have hardly anything. And he comes here, someone listens to his issues, and they help him. That's the joy that's taking place in Detroit. The word rejoice actually means to give joy to. So you receive some joy, like hearing this story about this guy who came to the church to just get a little bit of food and leaves with a whole lot more, or this family that just wanted to enjoy the presence of a sanctuary. You get the joy of that, and then you go pass it on to other people. That's how we rejoice. I would challenge you this week to find the joy in your life. Find the moments of joy, the stories of joy, those things that you have seen or heard about. and Go talk about those. Because it is so easy to focus on what's missing, what's not going right, what's the media saying right now that's going wrong with the world, when is the doom actually going to arrive. But I wonder how many of us have the courage to truly rejoice and to spread that joy that we do see around us. Amen. Hear this from Revelation. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever.